Welcome to Art for Conversations, a podcast about arts and cultural management. I'm Anita Latham. And I'm Katrina Ingram. We interview leaders who help shape the world of arts and culture, sharing their stories, their insights and observations. This season has been brought to you with the support of McEwen University and the Rosé Foundation. Welcome to Art for Conversations. I'm your host, Anita Latham. Today, I'm speaking with Marnie Badman. Originally from Canada, Marnie is now based in Melbourne, where she is the Senior Research Fellow at RMIT School of Art, following the prestigious award of the Vice-Chancellor's Postdoctorate Research Fellow at RMIT University in Melbourne between 2017 and 2019. Here, Marnie teaches both practice and theory in social engaged art, art in public spaces, art history and theory, and arts management, and leads arts industry research partnerships with the National Association of Visual Arts on standards of practice, with a 25-year history of art and social justice practice in Australia and Canada, Money's research sits at the intersection of socially engaged arts practice, community-based research methodologies, and the politics of cultural measurement. Welcome, Money. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. And uh, thank you for joining us for our conversation today. Now, you're originally from Canada. Tell us a little bit about your scholarly career path and how you ended up in Melbourne. Absolutely. So I'm calling in today from the future. So it's tomorrow <laughs> in Melbourne. Um, and I'm calling in from the beautiful lands of the Bunurong people. Um, of the Eastern Kulin Nation. Um, but as you know, I grew up in Saskatchewan. So yes. in Regina, um, I guess it would be Treaty 4 territory. Um, right. I came to Australia hmm, so 14 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. I came here 14 years ago um, to study. Right. And Pre yeah, previous to um, moving to Australia, I'd been leading an arts and social justice organization in Saskatchewan called Commonweal Community Arts, yeah. where I first um, really was able to engage in socially engaged art practice. But I had many questions and tensions in the yeah. practice and thought, hey, let's let's try out Melbourne for a year. Yeah. A year <laughs> turned into, you know, a year turned into um another three years of the PhD and a fellowship and all of those sorts of things. And I've been very lucky to be able to go um, back and forth between my two homes um, and my families and my research as well. Yeah. And so between your two homes, what would you say are the differences or the similarities between the arts and cultural ecologies in your two homes? Mm, that's a big one. So, I mean, scale is is a bit of a difference. So yeah. Regina, as you know, is a small city. Yeah. Um, but for me growing up there and working in the arts, um, it was it was incredible, actually, like yeah. a lot of opportunities um, that not only you could take, but you could create for yourself, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, you know, if cultural policy wasn't going on the right track, you could call up 
the premier, you know, like yeah. you, can, you can make things happen yeah. in a smaller community like that and really, um, you know, develop relationships that yeah. can, you know, take you in a lot of different ways. So a lot of the work I did was really partnership based. Yeah. Um, and then in Australia, I guess it's sort of the opposite, or I guess in Melbourne in that it's a bit of a small fish, big sea. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Um, so in the, you know, the climate's different. So there's a lot of, um, festivals and music, yeah. uh, art and public space, um, things like that. But, you know, what I was interested in, um, because my work, uh, was in Canada <clears throat> in a variety and with a variety of different communities, I was really interested in some of the, um, shared, um, uh, colonial. Yeah. Um, of the two kinds very interested in um, similar but different kind of um, uh, waves of migration and yeah. um, multiculturalism policies in that way um, and how that plays out through the arts. So, you know, in both countries, we've been kind of moving around through a number of different policy frameworks. I think we're all in creative industries right now. Yeah. Um, but of course that looks different at local governments and um, state government or provincial government. So, you know, things, the, the sort of policy rhetorics, I guess, um, shift and change yeah. um, quite rapidly. Um, but those trends are international, um, uh, at least across, you know, Western world. So there, there's many similarities. Um, yeah. But the, the one piece that I found quite intriguing, um, which I didn't have the language for in Canada, was the whole history of community arts and community cultural development in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Um, and whilst I think the practices, um, you know, exist in many different, many different ways in both countries, um, it had uh, sort of a government um, intervention could you say yeah. um in the 80s from yeah. australia council in actually putting artists to work in local governments right um, yes. i think they were funded for three years so that yeah. legacy of artists and communities working together um really is is a strong one in a way yeah. um we might take for granted here that um canada doesn't have that same, yeah. same history yeah 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 and you're right i actually lived in melbourne um when that was going on during that period and it was a really interesting period and i think like you said it really created a platform where things move forward from um so for yourself you um uh, uh distinguishing yourself as an artistic researcher and you use practice-led methods uh, which presents a really unique uh, outlook on things. Um, I'm wondering how the relationship between artist-researcher uh, methods working and how how are they forming each other? You know, do you see things through the eye of an artist or do you see things through the eye of a researcher? Where Which one takes the lead? Neither, really. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trained as an artist, so yeah. I, you know, bring sort of an aesthetic sensibility to anything I do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an extension of that, you know, it's a socially engaged artist researcher, which kind of informs um, the practice with a really strong values base. Um, yeah. Um, ethical frameworks, um, really important questions around collaboration, self-determination. Yeah. 
um, and what have you. Um, But um, in terms of adding that term artist researcher, that's something I adopted when I was doing my PhD because it it made a lot of sense to me because the work I was developing with communities or by invitation of communities, um, they were really open-ended sort of propositions. and the practice um, and the projects didn't have defined outcomes before I began them. Yeah. Um, so I like to sort of, you know, hold and create space and, and think through ideas with my collaborators. Um, yeah. And it turns into something completely different than, than how I sort of come into it. So this idea of practice-led research is, you know, we, in sort of the scholarly sort of methodological um, yeah. literature it, it practice-led research you know arises out of tensions of practice or yes. um out of uh, even enthusiasm of practice so yeah. for me I had a lot of questions about um self-determination intellectual property um if I'm you know working for social change how do I know that that yeah. change is um, is it the change I intend? Is it the change communities intend? Those sort of bigger questions, yeah. which you know I haven't completely sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at least I'm asking the questions now. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah. the beauty of art is that it, you know, it asks more questions than yeah, it does yeah, yeah, and it kind of allows work. you to step outside, color outside the lines, really. Um, and Absolutely. so in in your work, you've curated and completed and a wonderful array of projects with numerous communities and numerous mediums um, you reference and discuss uh, the term social turn frequently uh, throughout all the projects you do can you explain to our listeners what is social turn and you know what are the impacts of that Sure. So the social turn um, came about from an art historian theorist, Claire Bishop, in 2006, I yep. believe it was, 2006-2007. And it was an essay and then later um, a book around participatory art. But the first essay was called Social Turn Collaboration and Its Discontents. Yeah. Um, so it was thinking about um, a move away from um, object based material, um, commercial, um, gallery based artworks. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a turn away in thinking about a much broader role for the arts, um, yeah. not just in communities, but thinking about engagement of audiences, um, as well. And, you know, socially engaged art, the social turn, um, there's a whole lot of different frameworks that people, um, will use, um, including, you know, Nicholas Borio's um, Relational Aesthetics, yeah. Grant Kester's um, Dialogic Art, um, in the UK, Participatory Art or Live Art. And, and they're not all the same, of course, um, yeah. but they do all share that element of expanding um, what we understand art to be. Right. And sometimes being critical of, you know, history's uh, sort of more narrowly defined mainstream um, economic systems of of art or traditional art audience relationships. Um, So, yeah, they they shift and change where you are in the world 
um, yeah. what policy framework we're in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, c- we can look at that trajectory of community arts, uh, which is yeah. like grassroots or even identity politics. But we can also look at other um, trajectories of like, you know, the avant-garde um, yeah. with situationness, um, data even, um, kind of performance practices. Yeah. And then more recently, a lot of institutions um, are working in this social turn about thinking through, can we do something to activate the work or activate our audiences in different ways? Um, so these practices are really looking at the social relations within art making. Yeah. Yeah, which is a great segue into that concept of um, socially engaged arts practices. And you talk a lot about this in um, in your research. And, um, you know, it also can be defined in other ways as community-based arts practice, social practice, you know, arts for social justice. Um, can you talk about... Uh, why developing socially driven art practices is important and their relevance that they have now? Hmm, that's a big question. <laughs> um, the, I mean, the relevance now is like, I mean, there's lots of ways um, to talk about things that are important in the world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, socially engaged artists are, we're driven um, for justice outcomes. We're driven um, by collaboration and relationships and want something more, you know, we want something more than um, selling material works. And I'm I'm not criticizing that, that, you know, I'm not criticizing modernism. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm trained as a a painter and have a history degree. Um, But I think, think um, th- there's a relevance um, in a quite a, dare I say, multi kind of valent yeah. um, way. So these practices actually speak to a range of stakeholders. Um, in my work in particular, I'm often interested in, um, you know, collaboration engagement with community, yeah. um, which creates a different type of aesthetic maybe collaborative aesthetics, as Lynn would say. Um, But I'm also thinking about real-world changes, um, playing out politics in the art making, um, you know, even imagining better futures. Um, Not so much sort of the social realism of of community arts, um, but really thinking about how do we explore local place from the voices and knowledges and how and this this is in my practice in particular and how can I as an artist make these things visible in public in a way that um, decision makers policy makers the general public can understand yeah Um, so I'm very much interested in sort of being that you know interstitials in between um, in between or with you know a socially engaged artist you know has been described as like they could look like a project manager. They could yeah. look like an artist. They could look like an ethnographer. So we do shapeshift quite a bit and have um, quite a lot of tools in our toolkit, <laughs> if you know what I mean, depending yeah. on the topic, depending on the community, depending on the public presentation of the work. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that a lot of your work as uh, an artist researcher is done in a public realm? 
yeah, I think so. I mean, the way I work, um, I mean, I work in a couple of different ways, but typically I'm invited to do yeah. projects now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of important elements of that invitation. Um, you know, if it's, if it's community, that means that there's a, there's a big a community not my own. There's yeah. a big responsibility for me um, yeah. as a guest to that community. And I really see... Um, like a social contract set up, which is reciprocal sort of, you know, giving and taking and, and um, working together, yeah. um, which is, you know, underpinned by quite a strong ethical framework. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I'm also invited to do these types of works by institutions and thinking, okay, well, do I, do I work in community and then show it? Do I invite community in to work on a project with me? Yeah. Um, so th there's a lot of um, different models, but like I said, I'm very much interested in between kind of the relationship between artists, communities, and institutions. Um, yeah. Because of course, uh, back to cultural policy, <laughs> we're always talking about the benefits of yes. socially engaged artists. Yeah. And um you know, my PhD was actually like, well, how do we actually know? Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm also really interested in the negative value and the potential for harm in yes. this work. Um, so there's a lot of artists in Australia who um, would, not, would not align themselves to the term community arts or community cultural development yeah. because there was an understanding of artists going into a community, um, sometimes with um, misguided... Uh, colonial intent yes yeah um, and you know that's not true of every artist there's incredible community artists that have been practicing for 40 50 years right yeah um uh who are you know are are um important members of those communities as well but um i'm also interested in you know this idea of like negative value and yeah th there are power relationships in these works um and, you know, one of, one of the goals of the work um, is not just aesthetic, but it's actually about um, shifting power relations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, um, you know, you've touched on that power that art has to uh, ignite thought and ignite a, a review of us you know how we engage in the world in different ways and and all of those kind of things and I think you know as certainly you know as someone who's worked in Australia I'm very aware of cultural policy development and a lot of it being recently wrapped around that dialogue of health and wellness um, in community. And it's, it's very, very interesting, you know, from that perspective, you know, you've touched a little bit on the role of public art and creating social and cultural engagement. Um, in, in the big picture stuff, if you feel you can do the big picture um, answer, where do you see the positives in that kind of engagement in relation to cultural policy and, you know, co community engagement with art and, you know, participating in works that you do, you know, what's your hope of the outcome with those kind of engagements as an artistic researcher? 
thought a lot about this question, um, so I'll try to keep it high, kind of high level. Yeah. Um, I like th- there's 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 a difference between consultation and collaboration. Yeah. Um, what was it? I think it's like 1968. Uh, Sherry Arnstein's Ladder of Participation. Do you know yeah. that? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I was actually just looking at it with my students the other day, these sorts of like different ways of connecting and, and, you know, one thing I, um, learned when I was doing my PhD, I did a case study in, uh, North Central in Regina and one in St. Kilda in Melbourne. Yeah. I remember talking to my, um, uh, colleague at the time doing some research assistance with me, um, now very dear friend, Julie Big Eagle. Yeah. And she said, well, why, like, why would people want to be involved in research if they didn't have, um, if they only gave content and had no control over the form or the outcome? And, you know, I, I have to thank her for that because it was like, it was that moment where, yeah. you know, things were very clear. So, the idea of like engagement and consultation, even in cultural policy. Um, that, and it's not just government, it's actually all kind of ways of structuring <laughs> and knowing yeah. it's the arts, it's education, it's everything. You know, we think um, inclusion is actually something that we want yeah. to achieve. Yeah. Um, but actually, no, it's, it's actually about um, equity and even further than that self-determination um, particularly for um, you know first nations um, people of color um, yeah. and a range of um, voices that aren't always at the table yeah um, so you know I, I think we need to change the table settings yes <laughs> um, right great description do, do it in do it in a park at a picnic instead yeah. maybe yeah. um <laughs> But, you know, we, we actually don't just need to, like, revise the way we're doing things. Yeah. Um, there's, like, a lot of um, violence in institutions, policies, governments um, that needs to be teared down and started again. Yeah, seriously. yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned earlier is also some of your work comes from a project management perspective and, you know, Um, taking on board what you've just said, you know, from that project management perspective, because our emerging uh, arts managers do have a very kind of uh, project management perspective and what they do in their first job or first couple of jobs. Um, What do you feel uh, socially engaged artists and arts professionals um, uh, can be creating and planning when they're developing work or programs to deal with some of these social and political concepts? How do they tear down the wall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in a way that's safe and respectful, right, for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's complex, right? And yeah. a lot of um, the way that, you know, artists have been working in this space for a long time, you know, we, we learn it and iterate it and we learn it from colleagues um yeah um you know or mentors as well um but i think thinking through probably two or three basic ideas one yeah. is what is what is not what is not the not the output or the outcome but what is the change you yeah. wish to achieve and being really clear about that as an individual but that being the starting point when you're talking to 
collaborators or partners yeah. or funders. Um, because if it is ultimately about kind of shifting power dynamics, um, we need to be really aware of what different people's needs and interests are in a project. And they don't all have to be the same. Yeah. Um, and they probably shouldn't be the same. Um, so that kind of exchange of value and values um, as a conversation rather than as like a measurement tool at the end yeah. um, is, is the way to go. Um, the other thing I would say is, and we've been thinking about this a lot in terms of our teaching practices at the university as well, yeah. in the School of Art, around um, not just risk assessment yes. um, in a physical sense, but actually um, ethics as well. So yeah. thinking in a way that is not about risk adverse, we want to encourage risk the arts and creativity yeah um, like creative risk is the way that things happen right yeah but yeah. we do need to think through yeah, yeah yeah um you know risk is like it's a friction that creates something else um but we can think about uh like an ethical framework in terms of benefit versus harm yeah and that could be you know a sim as simple as thinking through you know, will somebody get hurt by participating in this physically? Yeah. Um, but it's also a much more complex um, thing, you know, like, well, should I really be visiting, you know, perhaps a vulnerable community who um, is uh, actually has a lot of more important things to do <laughs> than, <laughs> than engage with a community artist? Yeah. Like, you know, so... That's what, you know, that's why I like the invitation is important to me and those sorts of things. Yeah. It's like, well, like check yourself, like seriously, why, yeah. why do you want to work with other people and what is it that you really want to achieve? Um, and I think that, that's starting to talk people out of doing projects, um, yeah. you know, even public art projects, but just really think about um, the site that the yeah. work's in, um, yeah. the social, cultural histories of the site that perhaps, um, you know, uh, you know, if you're of a s settler community, you may not actually understand the significance yeah. of the site as well. Yeah. So there's, there is a lot of consultation um, that needs to happen even before you kind of set up yeah. the project management. Yeah. Um, it's a lot bigger than one might think rather than just a logic framework. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that really feeds into uh, how you evaluate a project as well. Um, you know, from your perspective, you know, what kind of measures are you putting around some of your projects to go that succeeded or didn't succeed um, from an artistic and an academic perspective? Because you kind of have your feet in both camps. Yep. Yep. So um, my other secret superpower is um <laughs> evaluation and measurement yeah <laughs> and policy i usually would you know prefer to be known as an artist and researcher um but uh we won't tell yeah, so like I, I yeah i did so i did my phd around this idea of like how do we know that we're actually achieving social change yeah. so if it's yeah. about um you know our community for social change how do we know and um, I got really into this whole system of like indicators, cultural yeah. indicators. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, oh, right. Like 
this is good because there's lots of different ways of knowing and lots of different ways to collect data. And, um, you know, I got to know some systems, um, both in Australia and Canada and, you know, realized that these sort of like external benchmarks on community practice, um, are just like extensions of cultural policy. Like that's not even measuring the success of the project. That's, yeah helping the government report on their (laughs) right on on what they need to report on um so how do we again have that conversation what is the change we hope to achieve and then how do we know it right so the the research in Regina and St Kilda was around um how do we know our neighborhoods getting better yeah Um, yeah because what we realized that um in these two communities that have quite um complex um social situations, uh, yeah. conditions, um, you know, stemming from colonization and racism. Yeah. Um, but it plays out in, in, you know, being over-policed, high levels of crime, um, addictions, poverty, um, and what have you. And I said, well, like, you know, I think, I think I can propose that if people set their own goals, they're more, you know, it's, it's more likely they're going to achieve them. <laughs> Yes, rather than yeah. trying to respond to other people's goals. Yeah. Um, in Victoria, um, the state that I'm in, in Australia, um, there was an, uh, a group at the University of Melbourne that I was working for, um, led by Professor John Wiseman, um, called Cultural Earth. Cultural or Community Indicators Victoria. So right. it was about collecting data, evidence um, around, you know, levels of employment, um, arts and cultural participation, um, access to green. Yeah. So, you know, really data at a glance that you can grab yeah. um, to make policy arguments for local government. But what I realized was that they started comparing com- communities Right, um, which is very stigmatizing, right? So, yeah. well, you know, out in the West, um, I think like Footscray and Brimbank and um, Sunshine, maybe, were like scaled the lowest out of 79 um, local government areas around arts and cultural participation. Yeah. And I was like, bullshit, because like there was like 273 languages spoken in Footscray. Yeah. yeah. There's like, music live music everywhere there's you know traditional um cultural festivals every weekend all of this and i started thinking about well what what kinds of arts and cultural activities are they actually measuring and it was these sort of more formalized mainstream activities like have you gone to the gallery have you gone to a concert or have you gone to the opera you know and and these things aren't in those communities yeah. um so how do we think much more broadly around a whole range of um arts and cultural um expressions yes um not just what we might call professional arts and so i kind of sidetracked there in terms of like the evaluation question but i guess i like to start um, talking about that in framing it as the politics of measurement. And yeah. so I've done a lot of work in thinking about what we call, um, my former colleague, Lachlan McDowell, and I call the specters of evaluation. Yeah. And, you know, the specter is like, you know, what's haunting the arts. Yes. Um, and it can be a health framework. It can be a well-being framework. It can be an economic development framework. Yeah. All of these sorts of 
ways of um, a funding these practices um, yes. and b instrumentalizing them right yeah so how do we actually get to um, the core of what the value and values of these practices are and the only way to do it is you know and I'm, I'm invited into a whole range of communities that are not my own with very uh, culturally complex um, contexts um, and, you know, I used to like resist and like, oh, I don't want to place, you know, my values on your practices. Yeah, yeah. But I realized actually, well, what I can do as an artist researcher is offer some um, participatory methods to yeah. support people to make sense of uh, what the meaning and significance of their practices are rather than just translating it through the policy outcomes that are expected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, two quick examples. One was um, a couple of years ago the, uh, with all the Queen's men, um, beautiful friend Tristan Meachin said to me, uh, I need you to help me sort this one out. And I'm like, okay, uh, LGTBI plus um, elders, so people yeah. over 65, who um, were, you know, still, still grieving um, the AIDS epidemic yes. um, are aging and moving into um, many into social isolation in terms of um, aged care facilities that yeah. are not culturally or socially relevant. Yeah. Um, they built this beautiful uh, dance club project. Yeah. It's, oh, it's just social dance and um, had this celebration called the coming back out ball. So this idea that um, these elders had to come back out again when they moved yeah. into this new context. Yeah. You know, really traumatic stuff. Um, and, and I thought, well, like, I don't even understand the aesthetics, right? Like the event, like beautiful. Um, but the whole idea of balls, which was like an underground Melbourne scene for decades, yeah. is about spectacle, right? And that's yeah. not within my aesthetic language. So I said, well, like, all right you know, can I find some students who are part of this community? They can talk to elders about the significance and, and quite in an open-ended way. And then later do some of that analysis to understand kind of the successor values. Um, the other um, one that I've been refle reflecting on lately was um, an incredible indigenous traditional dance project up in the Northern Territory. Yeah. So, you know, as a Canadian living in Melbourne, I'd, never even been outside of the state <laughs> so when invited yeah so when invited to go to you know the desert um to go up to Burlula in the northern yeah. territory I just thought like wow I'd love to but you know how do I how do I go about doing so it was really about finding um, where the knowledge sits yeah. in the community and supporting those folks yeah. um to develop and you know, with the Indigenous Traditional Dance Project, you know, it's like a three-year cultural development program yeah. with festivals every yeah. year. And um, traditional dance, inviting mob from um, different language groups from across the country to drive for days and days to come to this dance festival. And so I say, well, you know, how do we know it's successful? Yeah. Um, well, you know, some people are like, well, it's really important to bring more people into the region that cultural exchange is really important. Um, but one old man told me how he knew it was successful. Um, and I didn't quite get it until I actually was at the festival. And he said, well, when the red dirt flies up. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard up, that phrase. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're actually at the festival and, you know, the, the songs sing, you know, these incredible voices singing country, um, beautiful traditional instruments and these dance troops um, with like this, you know, red dirt, the yeah. dust is flying up from the dance. And, and it's not just the physical force. It's actually quite, um, how would I say, spiritual kind of yes. um, uh, connection, uh, trans- transcendental anyways. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So th- these, these ways of measuring success, I think it's really important to, you know, ask community yeah. what success looks like to them. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it might be like, oh, the amount of people who show up, right? No, yeah, actually, <laughs> that's not the point. You know, the other thing with the traditional dance festival too is like, um, I learned quite quickly that the festival is not just about a celebration there, but it's about practicing connection to country. Yeah. So unlike Canada, you know, um, the Queen didn't sign any treaties when they colonized um, Australia. Yeah. So you know, language groups and elders are having to prove their connection to country. Yeah. And the only way they can do that now is through songlines and um, yeah. story. And without that language and the live practicing of um, um, their culture, that connection is lost. Um, so, you know, their traditional ownership is more, I guess you'd say, of a custodianship. Yeah. So it's quite, you know, difficult to um provide evidence yeah um, with land claims without that culture being practiced yeah. so it's it's been such an honor to you know be invited to work in these different communities and a big responsibility yeah on on my part um you know one other thing i guess i'd say about evaluation and research in communities not my own is um you know obviously i go through the whole ethics process of collecting um, consent uh, yes. for people to be involved, but um, I'll never actually take um, people's data. That's their yeah. knowledge and information. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll see in my writing um, and presentations, um, I don't talk about outcomes so much. I talk more about methodology and my yeah. own stake in the work. Yeah. Because, um, you know, one of the big challenges I think in this field is. Um, people speaking on behalf of others yeah yeah oh wow wow you've money we've talked about so many things and touched on so many topics um you know and we've touched a little bit on social transformation and i'm really aware that you and i could chat for hours and hours and hours on stuff you know uh, (laughs) and you know i'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that you don't collect data, which is, you know, when, I mean, every kind of research 101 class is about collect the data, collect the data, name, age, all the demographics. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's fabulous because uh, it, it really honors the people that you are working alongside and it, it makes it a journey rather than a, we're researching on you um, or about mm. you. It's actually a journey. And as you've said, some of the engagement is when you connect with people, it's about social transformation. It's about change. It's about those things. So, you know, and, um, 
you know, there's growing concern globally around people's social welfare um, and their identity, especially when you have Indigenous and First Nation communities around what's important to those people. Um, from, you know, as a, as a kind of a last question for you and I in our time, um, when we talk about artistic engagement with communities in relation to social transformation, you know, what do you feel are some of the best practices that we as, you know, as arts-based, you know, very, most of us predominantly very white, um, from a point of privilege, can really put into structuring cultural development to work alongside and to do social transformation in a journey rather than directively? What, for you, are the real kind of take-home points that you think are really important that our emerging arts managers need to be mindful of? Uh, yeah, there's lots. Um, the first one is, I think, yeah. listening. Yeah. <laughs> we forget how to listen sometimes. Yeah. I do it all the time. Listen to me talk, 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 right? Yeah. Um, uh, exchange, reciprocity, you know, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. Um, you, like, I, I actually, as an emerging arts manager 20 years ago, as an emerging <laughs> arts manager, um, I would try to write myself out of the story all the time. Yeah. Um, and because I'm, you know, like... I was told my leadership style was um, um, the servant leader, right? right. So yeah. behind the scenes um, uh, at the Bounce at Center um, leadership training, um, it was, uh, they told me it was like Gandhi and I just thought that was the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to maybe do that, do that quiz, that personality quiz again now. Yeah. But, um, but um, I, you know, I realized quite early on that, you know, that, I have a role in this work. Yeah. We, we all have a stake in making change, but we also need to get out of the way yeah. sometimes and don't take up space. Yeah. Um, just because you have agency and privilege doesn't mean it should be your voice um, yeah. in front. Um, and so I do. Um, and, and it's, it's taken me a long time to, um, be able to articulate it but you know do, dear friends have taught me like first nations first like let's yeah. let's start there yeah. um and it doesn't necessarily fix everything but it does set up a situation just like a very simple acknowledgement of country yeah that i recognize people's sovereignty um and i also recognize my positionality right yeah. so understanding yourself before you can work in community i think is really important too yeah. and um i guess on that note um yeah i guess on that note is um just yeah positioning yourself and and understanding your own your own wants needs limits yeah. um which is a very kind of human thing to do like yeah. sure you can get training in a lot of different areas and experience. But, you know, that, that's the whole point of collaboration, right? Like yes, <laughs> there's, yes. there's a lot of different people and you can, you can work on everybody's strengths in, in complementary ways. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, the final note is um, in positions of privilege, um, like you and I have working yeah. at universities, we have a lot of cultural capital 
Yeah. And we can, um, you know, I don't know who's listening, but like we can steal that from the university and we can share that in community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in ways that benefit everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I guess maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the end of the story for now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great end of the story for now. Cause I think it, it reminds our listeners that, you know, get in the conversation, get in the conversation, you know, get involved. And like you say, take some of the things that your agency and privilege give you, but, you know, use them and transfer them into community and, and um, be part of your conversation rather than, you know, assume they are a right of a conversation, of to be your, to you, for you to be in conversation. I think it's a really great, take home look Marnie it's been absolutely fascinating and wonderful talking to you um, we must do this again and revisit many many of the topics that we've covered uh, it was a it was a wonderful privilege to have absolutely. this conversation with you thank you so much and all the best with um, your upcoming projects that you're working on Well, thank you. And thank you, too, for the invitation. Um, I look forward to part two, three, four, and five. <laughs> and um, good luck with um, the next couple of months. I know um, winter and public health um, yeah. will be a challenging place, but hopefully a place where people can retreat and have some reflection as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Katrina Marnie is always interesting to talk to and I really loved chatting with her um, and just just kind of tracking her career and what she's been doing and what she's engaged with and it is just extraordinary. I think one of the interesting things that her and I didn't get to talk about was the mapping, cultural mapping stuff that she does and that she uses and she has done this absolutely fascinating piece of cultural mapping where she looked at how women felt about walking around a neighbourhood in Melbourne that has a significant train station. And uh, we'll put a link on the website to this piece of work because you can see it. And it was fascinating because it really informed the safety stuff that needed to come into that community to help women feel safe in it and how powerful cultural mapping can be I mean I mean that's only one side of what she does but she really really shows the strength in cultural mapping and how important cultural mapping is when you're exploring your community that sounds fascinating and, and something I would love to see I really enjoyed listening to this interview and and there were so many different pieces of it that resonated with me one being uh, this this question that she asked about the downside of socially engaged art. What is the downside of yeah. socially engaged art? Um, and I feel like it's a, a really interesting question because it brings up this idea of power relationships. Um, and I think that's something we should really acknowledge as we're living through all of this social upheaval, we're having conversations about race and power and who gets centered. Um, and she really kind of um, had a new way of, of looking at that that really resonated with me. And it, it ended with this idea of metrics too, about what gets evaluated or what doesn't get evaluated. So I really got a lot uh, from this interview with, with Marnie.
This show was created by executive producer and host Annetta Latham, co-host Katrina Ingram, and technical producer Paul Johnson. Research assistants involved were Caitlin McKinnon and McEwen Bachelor of Music students. Theme music by Emily Darfour and cover by Constanza Patcher. Special thanks to the Rosé Foundation for their support and to our guests. Artful Conversations is a production of McEwen University. All rights reserved. Thank you.